to the Masters of Modern Podcast. I'm your host, Chewbacca, Alex Kessler, here with uh, a guest co-host, uh, returning Zach Allen. How is it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me back. Really, uh, really appreciate the callback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the episode you were on last was uh, one of the, like, like when we, like, came back to the heyday, once people were like, oh, right, paper magic exists. We're out of the quarantine. Let's play modern. And uh, people really, really loved the episode. So we're, we're glad to have you back. Uh, for people who weren't there or forget, uh, can you just, like, do a quick shout out where you, who you are, what you do, uh, your magic past, history, and future, etc.? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, name's Zach. I play magic for a local store called RW Hobbies in Livonia, Michigan. Um, but you might know me better from the SCG tour. I was pretty prominent on the SCG tour, uh, for like the year and a half leading up until COVID shut everything down. Uh, I was actually number one on the leaderboard right at the end and then it paused. So I've been number one on the leaderboard for two years now, but you know, longest, only... longest record yeah. for on top of the leaderboard of all time. <laughs> yep. Just holding it tireless. Just no, like, no quitting. There's, there's a loophole. You may have cheated, but like, <laughs> so we, we take those though. We take them. Um, yeah, you probably will never be beat. I like, there's no way anyone like can just like sit at the top of a leaderboard for like three years straight accidentally. Yeah. No, <laughs> No chance. It's it is unbelievably hard. You can do it for like three or four months at most when it, when it's actually going. Of course, right, right, right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So you might know me from SCG Tour, and in terms of Magic Future, uh, SCG Tour, the, it's coming back the end of this month on Halloween, which is 20 ish days from now. Um, and I'm going to be playing Paper Modern again at a big tournament for the first time in two years, and I am stoked. I cannot wait to play this event. Is this is this your will this be your first like event event back since the before times? I have played two local ones that are like okay. smaller events, but yes, it's the first real event. Like first first convention, right? Like yep. for all intents. It there like I did Gen Con three weeks ago and COVID worries aside, because that definitely was was a, a, a fear point um, and like wearing masks. My hands were like cracking from using too much uh, hand sanitizer throughout the weekend. Uh, but conventions are, are great. I forgot how much I loved them and why like at, before COVID, I was like prioritizing getting myself on an airplane to go just to random cities like Detroit uh, to like experience a convention because it was like, sure. oh, yeah. These are great. Uh, I'm like super excited for them to come back and for all of this to get past us. <laughs> oh man, same. Like I honestly, you know, being on the SCG tour, I have to. Tra- I had to travel to an SCG event every two weeks, and I did this for over like it was like two years. Right. Literally every two weeks, I was at one, and then just cold stop. Haven't gone to one in 18 months. It's just been such a weird change. But I haven't gone back to one. But I can tell you how much I miss it. Just seeing seeing all your friends is just. It, you know, you get used to it doing it and then you don't see them. And now it's like, man, I just really want to see them again. I really just want to talk to these people that, you know, I still keep in touch with online, but it's not the same. And just am dying for that interaction again, you know? Oh, and there were like muscles that I lost. I like, sure, like sure. I was like good at them and especially like hosting ones. Cause we like have toy booths and stuff. And like, I remember like New York toy fair before, uh, COVID shut down. I like, we had a new salesperson that had just joined and they're like, after one day, like, oh man, every part of my body hurts. And I'm like, this is just day one. <laughs> and then after like first day of Gen Con, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm dying. I'm, I will die. I've like thought I had COVID every day just from the exhaustion of running a toy, like a, a convention booth for the first time in years. So it's, it's, it's definitely 
like muscles that you have to re regain. Sure. All right. So before we get into the subject of the episode, which is going to be um, graveyards in modern, as as we are on Innistrad, a uh, home of the graveyard, uh, <laughs> we uh, we've started a new a new tradition where every episode we do uh, a little bit of a game of trivia. And the way this works is, uh, audience, I'm going to ask Zach a trivia question in the amount of time. Uh, and 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 Zach, please please like him and haw a little bit to give people time to write your comment below. I want to see your comment below on what you think the answer to this question is. And then you're making a bet with the podcast. If you get it right, you're good. You don't have to do anything else. You got it right. If you get it wrong though, you have to hit the like button uh, because that's just the bet you're making and you don't have a choice at that point. You, you missed the question. You didn't know the answer. So you got to hit that like button. Uh, If you want, if you win and you did get it right, you want to hit the like button. We're not going to be mad at you, but if you lose, you're just obligated to, that's how this game works. All right, so the question is, uh, Force of Will is famously a part of the five alliances spells that you could be cast by exiling a card and paying one life as an alternative casting cost. What is the white card? Oh, I know this one immediately. I, I, from a famous, <laughs> I, I remember from a famous YouTube video. I'm going to give you guys a second, but this one, I don't know if you can call the YouTube video famous, but this is one of my favorite cards to joke about. <laughs> So, <laughs> can you name? Just, can you name? Can you name the other colors, or 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 just the white one? Uh, I can definitely name three of them. The green one escapes me. I don't know uh, if I can do the green one. I think the green one is Bounty of the Hunt. There it is. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, would you like the white one now? Uh, yeah, I think that is that is okay. Uh, lock your answers in, everybody. All right. Uh, five, four, three, two, one. All right. What is the white uh, Force of Will cycle card? It is Scars of the Veteran. Yes. And it is famous for making plus O plus one counters because plus one plus one counters would have been too strong. <laughs> yeah. That's not in White's color pie. That's crazy. Giving creatures yeah. more power? Never. <laughs> two for yourself to prevent some damage. And oh my goodness, we couldn't make them plus one plus one counters. No yeah, way. You, you may exile a white card from your hand rather than play Scars of Mirren's mana cost. Prevent the next seven damage that would be dealt to target creature or player this turn at the beginning of the next end step. Ooh, love when stuff happens at the beginning of the next end step. I put a plus zero plus one counter on that creature for each one damage prevented this way. Um, yeah, and so, for, the, for the record, for the record, the black one, Contagion, I believe, and the red one was Pyrokinesis. Yes. I think. Uh, okay. let me, let me confirm. Pyrokinesis was definitely that. Yeah, yeah it's, con- it, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's Contagion. Contagion lets you, uh, put two, two minus two, minus one counters distributed <laughs> any way you like among any number of target creatures. <laughs> Yay for an era where counters uh, were not complicated. Yeah, and Pyrokinesis was uh, you uh, four damage divided as you choose among any number of targets. The other good one. The green one yep. The green one is the third one that's relatively decent because it can, it's like a pump effect. Like, it's not great, but it's like there, there are significantly worse, um, worse options. Let me, I'm going to just get the exact effect that it does really quick. It is Bounty of the Hunt. Put three plus one plus one counters uh, distributed uh, however you want. And then uh, you remove those counters at end of turn, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the funny thing about all of these is like pyrokinesis was actually a good card. Hmm. But then past that, 
it was like Force of Will is historically good, like one of the best right. cards ever made. Right. Not close, and it's like, yeah, the other ones could have been a little better. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, red the the blue one's obviously the like best by such leagues, like best card of all time. Sta- yeah. Like our arguments against the power nine in in quality of card. Uh, <laughs> the red one is a great is a good card would be like super probably too strong in standard and and modern looking how good fury is so gonna go with that too it's almost the same thing as fury i think it's i think that's actually just a functional reprint yeah yeah fury was a fury was a reference to the card i believe yeah they were like trying to make a, a i think they like probably had it have flash at one point and then they realized that a flash fury would be um Oh, that would have been way too good, yeah. Insanely broken. <laughs> yeah, no way. Uh, and and then and then Bounty of the Hunt is basically just giant growth. It's like better giant growth. I think they were just trying to like the templating to give like up to three target creatures get plus one plus one. Like the wording didn't work out in the way that they wanted to. So they just made it this weird card. And that's fine. Like that's like a fine limited like whatever combat trick. The other two are 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 wild. I guess the black one's good. It's just weird. All right, so we're we are past the trivia point. Uh, let us let us get to the conversation. So, graveyards, uh, generally powerful. Even going into uh, Midnight Hunt, we were living in a world where graveyards were being used pretty pretty uh, thoroughly. Between Dragon Rage Channelers into Murktide Regents into. Uh, excuse me, into Living End being played. Like, it's not like the graveyard has gone away, but with the new set, there has been at least two uh, new cards that have, like, already started seeing play uh, between uh, Consider and Faithful Mending, and then even additional cards that have the potential uh, of seeing play in the format that are graveyard-focused and giving some of these graveyard decks a shot in the arm. Um, so we want to talk about that. We want to talk about some of the best decks you can use the graveyard, some of the new decks that are getting better, um, and uh, then talk a little bit about how to fight this. Like what, what, what? Like now the graveyard is such an integral part of modern. Are we at a point where main decking uh, graveyard hate is a good idea? What type of graveyard hate date? Blah blah blah. Graveyard deck hate should people be playing? Yeah. So I mean, you're right. In the graveyard, for sure, in modern's history, has historically been one of the most important parts of the format. There have been periods in time in Modern where Dredge has just been the best deck full stop. Um, And other graveyard decks, but Dredge is the one, right? Like, it's the famous one. And it's been multiple eras of Dredge being dominant. We've had multiple bans from it with Golgari Grave Troll, um, Faithless Looting. uh, I'm sure there's some other bans I'm forgetting. But it's had different periods of just being absolutely dominant. And it finally got banned kind of into oblivion. And now it's back with Faithful Mending being a sort of Faithless Looting reprint, although colors shifted and costs changed, I guess. Um, but it's not Dredge now because they the color shift into the two colors Dredge wasn't made it difficult for Dredge to play this, although still possible. Time we'll maybe tell. get into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the graveyard just historically has been the extension of the hand in modern, right? Anytime you like, there's a hand size limit. You can have seven cards in your hand, no more. Sometimes, you you know, for a a period of part of a turn, you can have more, but you, you know, you have to discard down to seven at the end of the turn, but you know, your graveyard, 
never limited. And if you can break that, extend your hand into having a 40-card hand using your graveyard as a resource, it's just super, super powerful in Magic's game engine. And you see so many decks try to abuse this aspect of the game. Well, they A bunch of them do it in a different way, but any way you do it is going to be powerful. Well, and, and, and Faithful Faithless Looting was like kind of a big piece of that, right? That like before Faithless Looting was banned, you had Dredge, you had literally you had Hogak, right? Like Hogak yep. and, and Vengevine decks, you had Hollow One decks um, that were also taking advantage of uh, Vengevine. You had Phoenix decks that were taking advantage of the graveyard uh, within a blue red shell. You had yep. um, uh, Gorios Vengeance and uh, Gorios Vengeance decks, both the like straight up reanimator versions, as well as the Grishol band versions that like comboed off on turn two using life gain shoals. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. And so you have like, there was an era where graveyard decks were a third pillar of the format, and then Faithless Looting was banned. And uh, uh, the, the last one being, sorry, it, it, on the mid-range side, you had uh, Mardu Pyromancer decks playing Faithless Looting alongside Lingering Souls and just using it all like the graveyard as value town. Um, and since... That was... Hold on one second. That yeah, was yeah. the big one for me, just for the record, is that when Faithless Looting was like um, this kind of like not very good card that you needed to build around to make powerful. And when you did, it was powerful, but you know, forever it was viewed as this kind of bad card that like, why would you ever play it in a fair deck? Once it started crossing over into the territory of like, okay, this is like the engine of a fair deck and it's really good in the Mardu Pyromancer deck. It was like, yeah, this is when the band start or the band talk started heating up in full force. And, you know, looking back, it's probably right that it was banned. And I think people were wrong for a long time, not, playing it in more fair shells just based on how powerful that sifting effect really was. But we didn't know for a long time. And it just, it looked like cards that had been bad forever in Magic's history. But, you know, it turns out cheap spells you get to do repeatedly tend to be pretty good. Yeah, for, for like a long time, it was like, this is in dedicated graveyard decks, which are, it's like uh, the best card in those decks, but those decks all fold to graveyard hate. And therefore, yep. they're like a glass cannon that like can be played around. And the moment that like, yeah, people realize, oh, no, this is just the best cantrip in the format and it's not close. Uh, and like Phoenix and Mardu Pyromancer really kind of pushing that to the forefront was the moment that it like. Yeah, it became too ambiguous. I mean, the thing for me, because I've definitely been over the last two years being like, oh, man, I love this card. I wish it was Beck. Like, this is the card that makes me sad that it was banned in Modern. This is my Splinter Twin slash uh, uh, Mox Opal. Uh, Faithful Mending coming out and then within a like a week of it being legal, already being in multiple tier one decks uh, or at least on the verge of being tier one decks. Kind of proved the point that Faithless was too good. Yeah. <laughs> it costs one extra mana in two colors, and neither of those colors are the color that was most able to take advantage of it. Yep. Okay, cool. I was wrong. <laughs> Faithless Looting was really good and probably too good. So now we live in a world where Faithful Mending is what we have. And interesting enough with Faithful Mending to me is like you for an extra mana, you gain that life gain effect. But by doing that, you also make this a more powerful mid-range card. Where like it's kind of the 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 Sphinx's revelation effect, right? Where like Sphinx's revelation when it was blue sun zenith was not played in standard for mm -hmm. two years, right? Like the the two years it was legal, and there were control decks that like could take advantage of it, but it was better to just Jace brainstorm. <laughs> um, but then the moment that like literally a year later, you add the fact that you also have the stabilizing effect, where the turn you took off 
to draw four cards at instant speed, you also gained four life. So any damage you might have taken is mitigated, makes the card the most dominant force in standard and a once in a blue moon role player in eternal formats. And I think Faith is, Faithful Mending adds that effect where you can do the Mardo Pyromancer thing. And the fact that it costs two mana versus one mana isn't as bad because the life gain effect is there to help stabilize against earlier aggressive decks. Yeah, and I mean, keep in mind too that Faithless Looting was a card you often cast twice. Like, you weren't just playing Faithless Looting the first time. You, If you put it in your deck, you intended to cast it the second time as well. And the same thing is true with Faithful Mending. You often are going to cast this card twice. So while it looks like two, it's really four. And yes, it's five mana over two turns, but again, it's that exact effect you just mentioned. You know, what's going to help you if you need to spend five mana over two turns or two turns not affecting the board? Well, gaining four life would be a pretty good start because <laughs> yep. how are they going to beat you? They're going to attack you, right? So the, the life buffer is very real. So you are absolutely spot on about that. I agree. I think I think like the one the one loss, the one difference between the two cards to me, well, the colors matter, right? Like I yep. think Mardu Pyromancer is hard. You're either going to have to make like the choice like you're not going to be able to play young pyromancer lingering souls in this card together very easily which like that kind of sucks but the like the big loss to me is more the like decks that were like Gory's vengeance decks are a great example of decks we're using faith is looting to like win on turn one ostensibly that option no longer exists i think that's the healthy part of this card right this card is still very powerful but it allows games to get closer to the late game, which I think you want as much as possible from a design perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so you do lose Goryeo's Vengeance being able to discard stuff on turn one. I mean, you also lost Simeon Spirit Guide, right? So like that option is just actually no longer available. Yeah. Um, but you do gain stability and and a little bit less of a glass cannon effect for that that lack of explosiveness. Yeah, I mean, definitely agree. And just the fact, I, it, like, you pointed it out already, but the fact that, like, it does cost this much more and it's still revitalizing five or six archetypes is, I mean, it, like, that just makes you look back on looting and just, wow, <laughs> really? Yeah. <yep. laughs> we were doing this? We were just allowed to put that in our deck? Okay. Like, like, the only archetypes are the ones that are just, like, absolutely blue and white is untenable or, like, other cards were banned already. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yes, you're right. Hogak isn't coming back. That's more because Hogak was bad. <laughs> Hogak was just an outrage. Like, I have been on the record many times. This, that card was just a clear mistake and should have been banned from day one. I was stunned when they played this, like, dance around the fact that Hogak is a card. Let's ban Bridge from Below or whatever. Like, no, let's ban the 8-8 that costs zero mana. Let's, right. Whatever. They, like, they thought there was a way to fight it, but... yeah. Like, there's a lot of other... You could have banned, like, four cards to make Hogak, Hogak not as powerful. Even then, it would be, like... Ins I mean, look at uh, Merktide Regent, I guess. Like, the, yeah, just a 8-8 eight, eight for two is too good. <laughs> the 8-8 eight, eight for two is, like, really good. Like, what, what if we just made it cost nothing? Like, what if we just made it cost zero instead of eight or two? It's like, yeah, okay. It, costs Pro zero, it probably should have been. And then you can sacrifice it to then mill yourself the cards to cast it again for free, plus some Vengevines while you're at it. And then... <laughs> what a card uh, that was. That was a fair time in Magic. That one's insane to me because, like, in comparison... Like, Eldrazi Winter, I get, right? Hey, we made this card, 
10 years ago. That card is really dumb, but with new cards we're printing, but these new cards are all relatively fair outside of that vacuum. And we'd rather make these cool cards. And if it's a problem, we'll deal with it. Oh crap. We forgot that we've like locked ourselves into this weird ban schedule where we're not allowed to ban it for another month. And so, and that month happens to be three modern tournaments. Yeah. Whoops. Okay. Hogak was like, all the cards were in the same set other than Vengeon. <laughs> like they added Altar of Dementia, Hogak, and um, the zombie, the carrion feeder, all, all at the same time. <laughs> so like well, that the, tech was just like was in the set together. Yeah, the other thing, like they designed it for that format. Like they literally designed it for modern. Like, oh, we're right. going to put this in there and it probably, like it's not going to be a big deal. And it, it wasn't even like, it wasn't even a mythic. Like it was just a random rare in the set. Like they didn't even think it was gonna be that good. And it's like really the the card that says you can't spend mana to cast it. You don't think that's gonna be the problem one? And it's not. It's not like it was a mechanic that hadn't bit them in the butt before. Yeah, that, that's the other like, thing. It's like, like you combine two free mechanics that both have had historical success. Delve has never not been good. (laughs) All three times it showed up, it's like the first time it showed up was maybe it's worth showing on three cards and the 5-5 Flying Demon was still a legacy staple for years. Yeah, it was good. That's the worst version of Delve. Legacy staple, two of them, two legacy staples of three cards. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, On top of that, Convoke is like, I mean, it's not historically dominant like Delve is, but, like, it's a really powerful mechanic, and there are some oh, examples sure. of Convoke cards that are awesome. Like, Court of Calling is a modern staple as well. Oh, yeah. Like, that one, That one. there's just such a, like, of the 30 Convoke cards, three of them have been really good, so I can sure. see them, like, thinking, oh, Convoke's fine. Yeah. And almost, I, I, I almost, like, they maybe had, like, rose-colored glasses for Convoke, preventing them from seeing that Hogak was a problem. <laughs> They're like, oh, we've printed Convoke cards. They're all fine. Hogak will be fine. Uh, except. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, like, name drop or anything, but I know some of the people that were working on that, the the testing team for that format, and I, from what I've gathered, it was, like, some late changes to the card combined with not enough testing on it, and it slipped through. Right. Not so much, you know, not so much that they like could never have seen it coming. Cause I think if you ask any of them now, they'll be like, yeah, that one was pretty obvious. We should, you know, but I think, I think also a lot of modern horizons goals is specifically to give blood to decks that currently don't exist or like, yep. or on the edges. And like, to be honest, I mean, as a, self-professed Vengevine Stan. I'm like out here wanting that card to be great and have always loved and was like the first standard deck I ever played that I like fell in love with that was tournament tournament viable. Like great. Like yes, Wizard was trying to make decks that were using those type of effects of self-mill grindier decks viable and Hogek did that. And they just overshot the yep. the 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 bow and kind of probably misevaluated during design also how close that shell was and i think that's a lot of the time the mistake that's made right it's not like they're like okay we want to give a powerful tool to these decks so that they can exist and sometimes it's like oh those decks were already really close and we're already just missing one or two pieces like just altar of dementia or like and to be totally honest hollow one did it right like a year before while they were still designed, like while Modern Horizons was probably closer to being locked, Vengevine decks came back for a moment with Hollow One and just like, yep. 
sometimes you miss. And 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 to your point, the big mistake was not just banning it outright, right? That was yeah. the issue, was that they waited to try and ban other cards when, like, especially with the set like Modern Horizons, Hogak was not needed in that set to sell that set. It's not like the rest of the top 10 cards currently being played aren't from a Modern Horizons set without it existing. So, um... So okay, so let's let's talk let's talk uh, graveyard decks beyond it. And speaking of decks that Modern Horizons has put a lot of blood into, is the the Esper Esper Reanimator decks. Yep. Yeah. So Esper Reanimator is starting to come out in full force. I've seen I think Wafo Tapa put up uh, some results, and I've seen a couple other results. I think Spider Space also had a pretty good showing with an Esper Reanimator deck. Those are some well known Magic Online grinders for anybody not familiar with their names. Um, well. Waffle Top is a famous Pro Tour player in the Hall of Fame, but also a Magic <laughs> Online grinder nowadays. Um, but anyway, they both play this Esper Reanimator deck, and it is, you're right, almost exclusively Modern Horizons cards because the the reanimation spell persists, the way to get them in the graveyard, unmarked grave, and uh, the card you're actually reanimating, which is Archon of Cruelty, are all straight up out of Modern Horizons. Faithless Mending, not from Modern Horizons, but in Estrada, so recent. And the other card that not really relevant to the graveyard thing that we can talk on, but I guess has some graveyard relevant relevance is uh, prismatic ending, which just happens to pair super well with uh, white wanting to be with any other color, which tends to be what white does. You don't usually want to be mono white. You want to put white with another color that can carry its deficiencies, right? Um, and in this case, faithless mending does that. It's a you know a blue card that has white in its cost and then oh you know prismatic ending perfect to pair with it um a card from modern horizons as well and i think that package of all these cards from modern horizons plus faithless mending uh just gives this deck so much staying power archive of cruelty uh you read it and because it i think it costs 10 or something eight maybe two or black black six i think it's eight eight, eight yeah six black black for a six six flyer uh whenever yeah. arcan of cruelty enters the battlefield or attacks target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker discards a card and loses three life and then you draw a card and gain three life <laughs> yeah and like you read it and you're like that's a lot of text like what is this doing and then you think about it you're like oh, that's probably pretty good like obviously i get it in play for two minutes it's gonna be pretty good um, but then you play against it, and it just is even better than that. Like, when they get it in play, it's so, so hard to come back from. And it just does more than you think it would every single time. It's like, well, I can have a card in my hand. And I'll, nope, it's coming out of your hand. You're discarding. Well, if I put a Teferi in play, I can bounce it. Nope, it makes you sacrifice a Planeswalker too. Well, if I, you know, like, nope, they're drawing a card and gaining life. You're not burning them out. Like, uh, well, I can maybe attack. No, it's a 5-5 five, five blocker, even with Persist. Like... There's just so many things about it that just make it so hard to beat that it is, it's just good enough. Like, it is the thing you need to reanimate. There's no other target close in the format to persist. Nothing. Yeah, I think, like, I've I think, done searches. I think the, the other card that people are playing are, are Sarah Emissary, right? Like, that's that's the yep. closest. And they're playing it as a one-of. They're not even playing, you know, the full suite. Exactly. And the, the key here is that persist makes you return a non-legendary creature, which... Right. If you do the search, it basically comes down to Sarah's Emissary, Tidespout Tyrant, and Woodfall Primus, I think, was the next. Maybe Terastodon. Yeah, yeah. Terastodon, Void Winnower. Sure. Uh, Archon of Cruel. Not Cruelty. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Sun's Grace, maybe? The Black White. Yeah, yeah. Though the Exile, when it dies and enters play. Sure. Which is just kind of a worse Terastodon in in a lot of matchups. Like, these are the only, like, 
comparable ones and they're not yeah. i mean like it's just it, it's it's obviously not at the same level no and arcana cruelty is for for those that you know don't understand the reference or weren't playing at the time it is cruel ultimatum on a creature it does like its etb effect or attack effect is basically a mini cruel ultimatum and cruel ultimatum hasn't been played in a long time so people don't remember it but that card was absolutely dominant when it was in standard and it is tough for seven mana sorceries to be dominant right right they have to read you win the game which it, in its defense it kind of read you win the game <laughs> definitely it, it was never the first one that killed you but you did lose to the first one yeah and that's kind of how the, these triggers work is like you know you don't lose to the first trigger but like you kind of did like it was just so much value I mean, like in many ways, it's a hasty. Like it has, it has haste because it causes them to lose three life and gain three life, and then yep. like, so it's like as it comes in, it does it does damage. It draws you a card, and they lose like it. Just like there's so much value that happens. They're down two cards. You're up two cards, and they're down life. You're up life, and you have a six six that's flying in play. Yeah. Well, in this case, <laughs> it becomes a five five because of persists, but it doesn't yeah, yeah, matter yeah. because it's just right. a thing, right? Um, to add insult to injury to this, the list we're talking about with Waffle Top and Spider Space aren't playing this, but it is something that some of the other decks are playing because you need something else to reanimate with Persist. The other, like, one you often see is Grief, actually, mm -hmm. another Modern Horizons card. Uh, and the Grief decks tend to play Malakir Rebirth slash Ephemerate, uh, yeah. as ways to, like, keep the elemental in play. And Archon just works with those cards because it's an ETB effect. So it's like, oh, they get it in play. Like, all right, maybe I can come back from all this value, but I still have my Path to Exile. I'm going to kill it, and it'll be gone, and we'll be done. We'll have this, uh, nope, Ephemerate. You're getting hit with it again. And then when the Ephemerate comes back, you're getting hit again. And that's just way game over. Well, and, and those decks are also playing Priest of the Thalrites because yep. not only do you get that effect, which is just like... And I've been playing a lot of a Mardu version of this list that's like priests and like Sarah Emissary and um, what's the other main reanimate target in that deck? Oh, uh, 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 Massacre Worm are like the two main oh, sure. uh, things you target in the, the historic version. And like being able to just like piece of the Feral Rights on turn two and then it, it's playing Mardu. So it's playing a... Uh, uh, the pyromancer uh season pyromancer and then like sure. just turn three getting season pyromancer getting the two tokens and just because fell rights can do it on like just tap and do it is like such a huge swing <laughs> out of your opponent and here you're just using faithful mending but um being able to do that with grief being able to do that with our kind of cruelty being able to do that but then being able to ephemerate the priest of the fell rights off of the unearth so that you get to do that two more times again and then being able, yeah, it, it like it like loops itself in a way. Both lists are like vaguely terrifying, and I I think we're also at a point where we don't know what the final list looks like, right? Like this is still early days in development as far as what these are going to end up playing. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, the one thing that's clear is that people are playing unmarked grave, persist, and archon of cruelty com combined with faithful mending, and then past that, there's a ton of different directions you can go and. Nothing's clear, but it does seem like all the lists pair with elementals. I will say that. Um, whether it be Grief, whether it be Solitude, or uh, in Wafo Tapa's case, they're playing Mole Drifter as a secret discard outlet, which I still think is the funniest thing and most on-brand Wafo Tapa thing I've ever seen in my life, but just truly awesome. Um, for those who don't understand, Wafo Tapa is famous for playing control decks with too much card draw in them. And what happens when you draw too many cards? You have to discard the hand size. 
<laughs> That's, he's using Mold Drifter as a discard to hand size for his Archon. I love so it. Like three so mana, like you play three mana Mold Drifter, you then ephemerate it. So you draw four cards for two, yep. and then that's on turn four, and then you just discard because you're at eight cards. So you just discard yeah. whatever. You can also just, cruelty. Yeah, you can also just go land, land, land Mold Drifter on the draw, and then boom, discard right there, turn four. Right, <laughs> ready to persist my Archon. <laughs> I'm really glad that Mall Drifter is back. <laughs> it's awesome. It's been, I mean, it's such a like, it, it's such a famous card in Magic. I mean, there there are Bane Slayers and there's Mall Drifters, right? It's an archetypal card for an entire class of creatures, and the fact that it's good again in modern scene play is one of the coolest like repercussions, I guess, of having these pitch elementals in the format. It's I I like that part a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, like you like it. It, because it's an elemental and because it's able to take advantage of the same thing that can like abuse the elementals that were printed, your tribal. Yeah, it's 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 like that was just enough to put it over the top. I mean, it's kind of like Blue's Kitchen Finks in my head almost yeah. where like they're from the same era. They're both like generically value good. But then if you accidentally have the right cards next to them, they're too good. Like they're they like just get that power spike from weird adjacent things that had nothing to do with the, the design of the card. The fact that it's like an elemental is now important. And the fact that yeah. Kitchen Fink's like minus one, minus one counters interact weird with the game is it ends up being like a weird infinite combo engine. So yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a cool, a cool return. Um, the next list I want to talk about, uh, is, uh, that Phoenix is back. The birds Phoenix, are flying. Oh yeah. Phoenix is back and uh, all of all the decks that came back, I will say the reanimator deck is cool. Um, if you're looking for how good it is, I will tell you that the list has not figured out yet and it's definitely not tier one. Um, I would not, if I was trying to win an event, I would not be playing reanimator per se. Um, but it feels like there's something there. And if you spent some time and you broke it, I think you could, you could win with it. I just don't have that list yet. Um, but in terms of Phoenix, that was the deck that was like, man, people loved Phoenix. They really, really loved Phoenix. And it was like the one deck where it was like, when Faithful Student got banned, I had been playing tournaments a lot and I had been losing to dredge decks a lot because Faithful Student and the dredge decks was not okay, especially alongside Creeping Chill at the time. And... It was always like the Phoenix decks you play against, you're like, ah, oh, man, Phoenix is like the right way for Faithless Looting decks to be like powerful. Like right. they're doing some value stuff, whatever, that's cool. But then like Dredge is just like too over the top. Uh, so I kind of felt bad for all the Phoenix players that lost their deck. I did not feel bad for the Dredge players. I'm sorry if you play Dredge. I didn't feel bad for you. Just, <laughs> just saying. Well, they're, um, playing, they're playing Yu-Gi-Oh! while everyone's playing. I mean, as a dredge player, yeah. we are playing Yu-Gi-Oh! as everyone else is playing Magic. So I, I, I sympathize with, with that I, Definitely. It was, that was the thing that was the most frustrating. was like, I, unless I have Graveyard, like, nothing matters. Like, I can't right. beat you, this you are playing all. on an axis that I do not interact with uh, unless yeah. I like got my random other Yu-Gi-Oh! card that I brought out for my sideboard to fight against it. Yeah. The seal of your deck doesn't work or whatever. This is is the whole thing with Phoenix back in the day, right? Like people, and I don't know if you know this, but like I like went really deep and our our listeners definitely do, but I went like really deep on Phoenix during preview season. It's like one of my best specs of all time because it was $3 for a mythic and everyone Mm -hmm. was like, this card's bad. And I was like, because like most Phoenixes have been bad, right? Like there's been like two playable Phoenixes in standard ever. Uh, Yeah. And... Uh, the re- this one and then the the one that looks like an owl 
uh, that like um, I forget which that's from, but whatever. Uh, we're moving past. Rekindling it. Phoenix. Yeah, Rekindling Phoenix. Um, and then like as a as a already professed Vengevine stan, like Arclight Phoenix's Vengevine with better abilities that requires you to play with good spells versus bad spells. <laughs> yeah. Like Vengevine wants you to play Hedging Crab. This wants you to play Faithless Loading. <laughs> yeah, Lightning Bolt, Opt, Seer Visions. Like, oh, have we seen these cards in historically successful modern lists? It's like, oh, blue cantrips. Uh, I have to play three of those a turn. That's such a difficult road for me to have to walk down. <laughs> Definitely. But I will say, not only do I remember you calling this, you actually inspired me to buy foils. So I got foil Arclight Phoenixes at like nice. five bucks. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> I was, was so like... drunk and I bought 70 copies of this card. <laughs> That's awesome. Because <laughs> someone on the internet was like, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, this is a mythic and it's only $3 for like yeah. 150 bucks. I'll own a bunch of dumb birds and it's a funny story. And I bought a bunch and then they were $50 three weeks later. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. I, I bought the foils. They spiked up to infinite money. I never sold them, and now they're back down to about where I bought them at. So, you know, it was well, a fun ride well, while it lasted. I think you're in a good, like, they're they're 15 bucks now for a regular. Oh, so you're not, right. you're not, you're, they're coming back. These birds, Profit. these birds, like the card, you know, <laughs> it's been, it's been three years. There's been sure. three years worth of sets printed. I'm assuming three spells have been cast in that time, and now they're coming back. <laughs> Well, they, they never go away. That's the thing. You just, they keep coming back. This is my big regret with was Demi-Lich, because that's a good card that I was like, oh, that card's nuts and bonkers, but then I just like didn't buy any AFR, so I don't own any Demi-Liches. But, uh, sure. And that is now, they're going 21 bucks a pop, and that card is the other piece, right? Like, they now have two good, basically, they're both Arclight Phoenixes, and then they got faithful mending but they also got consider right like both cards together really give the deck the pieces it needed to come back and be good again yeah i mean consider is really big i there was a long time uh mostly in or mostly when i'm, I'm talking about death shadow where death shadow was really good and it was really good on one you had death shadow but the other threat that let death shadow be really good in modern was gurmag angler um and the death shadow decks just had to play thought scour and i cannot tell you how many events I played in where it was like, if the mill part was optional, like if I got the scry first, because I just have all these memories of like, all right, this is the week to play Death Shadow. And then you play it and you're like, I'm an 18 land deck. It's turn seven. I have seven lands in play and six more lands in hand because my thought scour was just milled spell spell and I drew land. And it was just, it just kept doing this. Or the other way, it's like, I just need to draw any land. And it's like mill, land, land, draw spell. Like, come on, thought scour, get it together. I will say that if Thought Scour let you surveil the two cards first, uh, like I would be on record arguing that it was better than Brainstorm to people. I would maybe be wrong, but that card sounds nuts. <laughs> it, it probably, I mean, it might be better than Brainstorm. I don't know. That's actually, it's like preordained on steroids or something. Yeah. Just so strong. <laughs> like <laughs> preordained's banned. This card, that card's better than it, right? Like, like yeah. surveil is. 90% of the time better than scry and it would also be an instant. <laughs> yeah. Just outrageous. So um, obviously it shouldn't do that, but consider <laughs> is mostly that, right? It's yeah. like mostly, obviously it's one last card, but like it is mostly that. And it, it matters. It matters a lot that you get to see like, Oh, do I need a land? No. Okay. Well, 
oh man, this is like a spell I can snap back later, or this is a spell flashback. Like, I'll put this in the, the graveyard for now, and I'll get towards my land, or, you know, maybe maybe I did want to mill the card because I have something in my hand that has Delve or something, but it's a land, I need the land, all right, I'm going to keep it, I'll get my land, and that's fine because I got my land, I'm not missing my land drop, I get to keep playing the game. Right. Um, and just the fact that it gives you the decision is just so, so important, but also just crazy powerful. Like, you, anytime you consider and you see the Phoenix or the Demulich on top, and you're going to put it in the yard, it's just like, yep. One mana or, draw two, we take those. Right, or even even faithful mending, right? Like being yeah. able to put any of those three cards. So you have twelve hits in your deck that are just like twelve hits in your deck, and then lands that you don't need once you get once you get to like at most three mana. Like you're you have so many hits. You're like, oh, I drew two cards off of this. I like either got rid of a card I didn't need, or yeah, it's it's really powerful. Uh, and I'm glad it exists. It's exactly the card I want to exist in Magic. Because I agree yeah. on on the thought scour train, like be wanting it to be this is exactly where consider gets you. Well, and like even just like historically going back to the death shadow thing, where it's like, well, what was the problem here? It, it's that you're playing cantrips that don't have control over what they draw, right? Like mm-hmm. because it was also a, a Mishra's Bobble deck. So you, you have Mishra's Bobble, you have thought scour, even street wraith. Uh, to some extent. So you have all these cantrips and it's like they all just represent random card and you don't control what that card is so it does, it, like it inherently makes you flood out or screw more, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what these do. Um, and that's historically just been a problem with cantrip decks and like just looking at any, for- like even other Phoenix decks, like the like the old Phoenix decks when it had for this looting, it would flood out a lot because the cantrips end up drawing you into lands. Looting was the thing that fixed that. It was like, well, anytime my hand's bad, I can just draw two and then discard the two cards I don't want. Um, and that's like a historically powerful effect because like the only decks that don't experience this, I'm playing a ton of cantrips and then flood out effect are ones that have either a faithless looting or a brainstorm. And the fact that we Mm -hmm. gave them faithful mending plus cantrips that let them make decisions are really what let these decks exist because they just wouldn't exist otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There, it, it like, it's one of the reasons we're doing this episode, right? Is 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 yep. this set has introduced at least two tools to the format that both push it more so like push archetypes that like we're just on the edge of playable back back into the spotlight. Um now now before we get into um so I have two more sections I want to talk about. I do want I do want to briefly touch upon just cuz we're talking about the graveyard. I want to talk about some of the ways that the graveyard was being used um currently. Uh, or, or or before Midnight Haunt. So really, I, I feel like there's like, there was two ac- axes. There's Lurus, like what, who's just, was maybe yep. the most, the like, the most active version of using the graveyard. Uh, and then the Dragon Channeler, uh, Murktide Regent, co- like combination of cards where you're like more using your graveyard as a thing to put cards into to then uh, exile or take advantage of or have Delirium off of. Um, or you're using Luris to like buy cards back in the way that Luris likes to do, uh, yep. which is like his favorite thing. I guess, I guess the third option would be like in Zoomer Jund with, um, uh, uh, Ren and Six. Ren and Tarmogoyf. Six and, and, uh, well, Tarmogoy for sure on the county goes Ren and Six and, um, Kroxa. Oh sure, Croxa. Yep. Uh, um, and then like, so, and then the even in like the Jund sacrifice of decks where they're also playing like Unearth, I guess were kind of like the main versions of those lists as well. So, sure, it's not like the like that's that's kind of one of the reasons like we've entered into a graveyard era is it's not like before faithful mending and uh, and friends and consider were added to the format. The format was graveyard light. It just was 
based around other cards. And now all of these cards exist and are all good. Oh, yeah. And I will say, too, like when you touch on the old decks, um, there's this interesting trend uh, going on with graveyard decks in modern where you mentioned uh, Phoenix, right? Yes, you have a Delve spell. Yes, you have, uh, you know, Raghavan. You have Dragon's Rage Channeler. You have these cards that are, uh, you know, generically powerful cards. They use the graveyard, but they don't depend on them necessarily. And, like, the timing of an opponent's graveyard hate with those cards can kind of make or break, I guess, the game in some sense. Like, uh, who wins or who loses that game? Like, you know, Murktide Regent, it was actually a very interesting one where it's like, well, if the Graveyard Hate came down first, it's hard to cast your Murktide Regent. But if you have the Murktide Regent in play and they play the Graveyard Hate, all of a sudden your Murktide Regent is like a 2020 or something. It's right, huge. So right. it's like, can you even afford to bring in Graveyard Hate against a deck like that? The answer might depend. It might depend on how your deck's built, whatever. But it, it's interesting, right? But the idea is that you're taking advantage, like, you know, we talked about Dredge in the past, right? It's a deck that just completely abuses the graveyard. These decks have the idea of like, well, I'm going to abuse the graveyard, but in a way where if they try to hate on it, I can sidestep that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm not all in. I'm not losing to a card. It's like, I'm either, you know, abusing the graveyard and taking advantage of them, not, not abusing the graveyard, or if they bring in a card to like, you know, stop me from doing that. Now they're down a card to stop me from doing that. And my cards still work. Right. Right. Well, and they're, they're all also effects that, yeah, kind of like targeted or one-time effect graveyard hate was bad. like yeah. Or not bad, but like isn't isn't very powerful against it. So you either need to like ignore the graveyard because what they're doing isn't that graveyard focused that you need to get rid of it. Or have something like Rest in Peace, which ends up being a constant state of offense against it. Because a Merc Tried Regent with Rest in Peace of play is much worse. But if I play like even if you get rid of my graveyard a lot of the ways I was filling my graveyard are pretty repeatable or replace themselves or our dragon chain, you know, drag, uh, yeah. uh, dragon rage channeler. Who's still in play. <laughs> like you haven't gotten rid of, in fact, you've spent a turn eating my graveyard where my one, one and, and other threats are in play attacking you. So yeah. it's, it really put a lot of people kind of in a weird position where you almost ignored it. I wonder if that the introduction of the newer cards changes this dynamic though, where it now becomes, does it make it just like, Graveyard hate is even more part. Or I, I guess now jumping ahead, but I'll, I'll write down the timing on that. <laughs> well, no, so I, uh, yeah, yeah. This sorry, was go. the dichotomy I was going to hit on with this was so the the decks you described were not playing white mana, um, and they were all playing cards that you know you could bring in graveyard hate against, but it wasn't necessarily very good to like you know Luris is the perfect example. Like oh, you brought in a rest in peace to beat my Luris. It's in the companion zone. I'm not even going to go grab it. Like, nice right. rest in peace, you know? Like, it just doesn't matter. And it's like, oh, well, you don't have the rest in peace? All right, well, now I get to get one of the historically, like, most powerful creatures ever printed out of my sideboard for free. Uh, and, and Or, like, so even was, worst case scenario, I have a 3-2 lifelink attacker. Exactly. And it's you spend no, a turn doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's just no downside to it. It's, it's just free for them. So, anyway... But the, the other decks we're mentioning, the Faithful Mending decks, well, they, they do need the graveyard. Like, you are actively trying to put stuff in the graveyard. You want it. Well, I'm all playing white. What what can I do to stop the graveyard hate? Play Prismatic Ending because it answers everything. So it's weird now. You either have non-white graveyard decks that are playing strategies that sidestep graveyard hate um, to, you know, you know kind of put them in a damned if they do, damned if they don't scenario. Or you're playing white graveyard decks that play Prismatic Ending. And that, that's it. Those are the two. 
yeah, is there is there I guess endurance is really the answer in some ways. And but it it's not good against like there's ways to answer the white graveyard decks, right? Like it, mm-hmm. fighting against faithful mending is possible. You just have to use the one time graveyard hate effects and time it correctly. But then those cards aren't good against the current metagame and what those decks are doing because they sidestep that hate. And and you almost kind of need to have different graveyard hate for each of these options. Yeah, oh, definitely. And there are a ton of options for graveyard hate in modern, and we can get to you know my top three if you want later. Um, because I do think there are three that have just completely separated themselves from the pack, and I don't sure. even think it's close. Let's let's do it. Let's. I, I think I think we've covered a lot of like what different decks are in the meta game and new decks that are possible. Uh, I, we have one at the very end. We'll do a little bit of a conversation on one other new card we haven't touched on. But let's let's do uh, top top three graveyard hate in modern. Okay, so, (laughs) sure, the number one is going to be number one for, it's been number one for a long time. Like, when you think of graveyard hate cards in modern, you think of Rest in Peace. I mean, it is the graveyard hate card. Um, There are, you know, historically ones that came before it, but it's just White's graveyard hate. And for a long time, sorry, go ahead. No, the the big negative is just that it also hits your graveyard. So as long as you're not using your graveyard, it's the best option i think of all time it just if the biggest problem was classically like snapcaster mage i guess but yeah continue yep. no no so you're right the problem is that it hits your mm-hmm. graveyard but the other problem was that uh second copies of it don't do actual anything right like right. you had to play two maybe three just to make sure you found it against the graveyard decks but when you drew the second copy and the first one's in play it doesn't do anything like, there is no text and there was no real way to do anything about that. Like, the only real thing was Jace the Mind Sculptor, Brainstorm it away, which blue-white decks did kind of do, but, like, you know, that, that's kind of niche. Like, it's just not broadly um, applicable to a lot of archetypes and decks. Like, maybe um, Scythus uh, decks now will just, like, can't chip through it, but you're yeah, right. Yeah. But now there's Solitude. Solitude is the big game-changer for Rest in Peace, because now all of a sudden... Uh, you know, my first copy is exactly what I need. It gets rid of the graveyard, and my second copy lets me have a source to plowshares for zero mana. So, you know, you finally have this thing to do with the excess copies, and it just so happens that decks that want to play Rest in Peace probably want to play Solitude because it's a good card anyway. Um, so you, you have the free out, you have the pitch, but then, you know, Solitude is a powerful card that doesn't rely on the graveyard, so it's just a nice little synergy package there, and um, it just works really well together. So I... Rest in Peace is being really helped out by how powerful it is with Solitude. For sure, for sure. All right, so that's number one. What's your number two? Number two is, I'm going to say Nile Spellbomb because I think it is the best. Um, but you can kind of budget it in Soul Guide Lantern if you want. Although, in my opinion, Nile Spellbomb is leagues better. So if I'm given the choice, I would play Nile Spellbomb. Um, but Nile Spellbomb has a couple things going for it that are just gigantic for it. So one... It's an artifact that costs one mana. So Urza Saga can get it, right? Which is huge. And it's got the cantrip effect to it. So, you know, if if it's bad, it's never that bad, right? You just cantrip right. it. Um, but two, it's in Luris's colors. So it's the graveyard hate that Luris decks can play that don't hit their own graveyard. Um, and that's important because the one that was historically that effect was Leyland in the Void, which you sadly cannot play with Luris. It just does not meet Luris's companion requirement. So you're stuck playing Nile Spellbomb, and it just works 
so perfectly well with the Urza Saga Luris package mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it's just the go-to. It's just the clear, like, this right. is the like, answer for Luris decks. In, unless you're playing, like, mono-white Luris or, like, not black, it's by and far and large the best option. Yeah, I mean, you can play Soul Guide Lantern for those decks, and it, it works, but it doesn't, like, it's just not as good. Like, you right. have to pick to draw the card or exile the graveyard, and not as I'm just... You know, lets you have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, and number three. Uh, three is the one you mentioned. It's endurance. It's a pretty oh, okay. clear endurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and endurance just has the pitch elemental thing to it. Um, and it endurance is also being helped out a lot by the fact that all of the cascade spells in modern right now are green and cost three, uh, and endurance costs three, so it just works with cascade spells. Sure. I guess you'd say. And, and, and it's like it's a very easy to main deck card is because of the synergies with elementals. All, all yeah. of the stuff we talked about earlier with how elementals are good right now. The reason like endurance is that as well. And then and then it also is like pound for pound. One of the ones that's like really easy just to cast. You don't need to exile a card from your hand to get a three, four for three. And like on rate, it's powerful enough. So it's also just like worthwhile. Oh, definitely. In fact, I like I'm playing a I've been playing a legacy band deck where you use it on yourself to like recycle your graveyard so that you don't deck because mm-hmm. decking is a problem somehow in legacy um, to your own card draw. But whatever. <laughs> um, modern decks aren't doing that, and I don't think that's a place modern will go. But like that's just you know something the card offers. It is it has this kind of flexibility to it, and you're right. Hard casting it is super real. Um, I wouldn't say that it's normally real, but it's very real in a format that's defined by a one-mana 3-3 flyer that has to attack, right? Right. Like, anytime they have a Dragon's Rage Channeler, it, it, like, and that, that the Dragon's Rage Channeler card is a card that uses the graveyard, um, a 3-4 reach that, you know, hits their graveyard just happens to be great against it, so... Mm-hmm. It's, um, one of, like, it's one of the things that, like, honestly, I think Dragon Rage Channeler, they printed kind of knowing Endurance was going to be an available answer to it, where it was like, oh, this is better than delver of secrets by a lot but uh there's an answer right there in the same set and it's mythic so it'll sell packs this is great (laughs) yeah and like i think people do miss like just how castable endurance is like i've been playing uh the rhinos deck cascade uh crash cade i don't know whatever you want to call it yeah crash footballs etc yeah yeah yep and it's it's funny to me how janky the deck can be but people bring in all this hate against you like tons and tons of hate and it has the same rest in peace problem we just talked about it's a different piece of hate whatever but they have 10 different hate cards in play to stop your rhinos and you're just like cast a three four i'm gonna attack right like, right well, it's even six like attack the, steps later the the old um well, they're not old because people are still playing it but the living index there was always like the backup plan of just casting your six mana six sixes that like like yep. my opponent is like you know answering my graveyard and like not letting me go, but like you have instant speed board wipes. So you're like, the game is going to go late. Even if they're able to answer what you're like making it. So you don't have creatures in your graveyard. You still have the ability to just like wipe the board at instant speed and then follow it up with just like bad limited beaters, but they're all massive. <laughs> so like, what are you going to do? And endurance is that, but for three mana and with flesh. Yep. Um, on the topic of living end, I will say living end is a very good deck right now. It's yeah. actually just very, we haven't mentioned it. It is one of the more real, uh, graveyard decks in modern, but it's weird because it doesn't really feel like a graveyard deck. And a lot of the hate people are playing aren't great. Isn't graveyard centric for it. So uh, 
like it, it does in fact use the graveyard, but it feels more like a cascade deck, I guess. So right. th- that would be kind of why we've been less vocal about it, I guess I'd say. Between crashing footfalls and and uh, living end, which which would be, and you like had to take one of those two, and you were going to a GP tomorrow or SC, you know, whatever an SCG event. Sure. Which one do you choose? Uh, footfalls for me, although. Footfalls only because of all the other graveyard decks we talked about, where graveyard hate is actually real at the moment. Um, if graveyard hate went away, I think living end is better. But uh, footfalls has the it does the like when they draw too many pieces of hate, I can triumph better than living end, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. So I would I would go that route. I like having that out of like. All right, well, they have a Chalice of the Void and an Engineering Explosives on zero, and, like, if I ever get Rhinos, it's just not happening. They've got a Void Mirror, too, and it's like, all right, uh, I'm going to cast an Endurance, and now I'm going to cast a Brazen Borrower, and I've got two three-power attackers, and hopefully that's good enough. Right, you you took off three turns casting Hate Artifacts. I took three turns casting a 3-1 Flyer and yep. a 3-4 Reach Beater for three mana with Flash, so... Cool. And the deck, the deck also just has like Fire Ice and some other Burn Spells, so, mm-hmm. like, it just happens that, like, it, the, these... Beats that seem anemic and not powerful enough just kind of get there. Right. Um, we talked so about that I, earlier earlier this month on how, like, Fire and Ice's inclusion in in Modern Horizons 2 is, like, pretty underrated as one of the reasons that the Cascade decks have been able to, like, obviously there's all the other pieces that it got, but that piece specifically offers also this big leap ahead just because you now have three pieces of really relevant interaction that you just get to play for free. Yeah, Fire Ice is an unbelievable card. I think people forget that, but it is... I mean, you forget it because it wasn't legal forever and it was, like, printed 20 years ago or whatever, yeah, it, but... It's one, it's one of the cards that I think, it like, if I had, like... If if Magic was popular enough to have, like, a Johnny on the street interviewing random strangers on the street information, I was like, is Fire and Ice legal and modern? Like, 50% of people would be like, oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. For, like, five years. And just, like, that was never true because it was... Nope. Like pre-print, reprinted in New Border so many times, and like was just like in a bunch of different random, like pre-con decks, right? And then like, oh, but now it's legal, and everyone's like, oh, and immediately seeing play. Yep, but it, the fact that it can tap lands is outrageous. Like that's just not a templating they give cards nowadays. So like, you just don't see that effect. But like on the play, icing their land is like just really unfair. Like it's just not something <laughs> the game engine accounts for nowadays. So it's like. All right, well, I guess I'm getting time walked and they're drawing a card. I mean, what am I going to do? Um, and so, like, the fact that your burn spell has that buyout for, like, matchups where it's not a good burn spell is just unbelievable. It's just such a powerful card. Right, right. All right, so the last the last thing I want to talk about today before, before we start wrapping up is uh, you had three cards from... Uh, Midnight Haunt that you uh, kind of brought up. And Faithful Mending, Consider were two of them. Pretty pretty obvious success stories but the third one was other otherworldly gaze and we've talked about this yep. on our review set on, on how interesting this was and i'd like to hear your thoughts and why 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 you're hyped okay so otherworldly gaze is all in it is like the dredge card right it's not like phoenix decks aren't gonna play this maybe this one could play like one but like in general the more fair graveyard decks like the Luris decks certainly wouldn't play this card even if it could right. cast it certainly wouldn't but it like if you're all in like if you are i am trying to get stuff in the graveyard at all costs like how dredge is this card does a really good job of it like dredge we've uh, like i talked about this last time i was here dredge plays some really bad one mana stuff because it doesn't have faithless suit anymore like you're playing shriek horns and all sorts of nonsense at one oh, mana yeah. that just like 
this card is so sh- like Shriekhorn is a modern staple is a dumb sentence. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. Like it's the thing it has yeah. and they have to play it. Um, this does such a better job of it and it does it in a way the deck can capitalize on it. And it does it in a color that it wouldn't have been interested in, but now because of Faithful Mending has to be. Mm-hmm. So, like, you get Faithful Mending as the looting you want to play, um, but then you get this otherworldly gaze as the the looting with flashback, if you will. And that's the key to this card, is that it has a cheap flashback. It's just one in a blue. You have to look at the top three cards. And that was always Dredge's uh, beauty before. Like, the thing that made it so broken was you could keep a hand that just had a Faithless Suiting, and that was it. That was the right. only thing it had, and some whatever else. Like a Faithless Suiting and one red mana source, and the other five cards didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of doing that, where um, if this is in your deck, it doesn't even matter where. If you start dredging and you start milling yourself, it's going to be in your graveyard, and it's going to let you get stuff off the top of your library into your graveyard uh, without having needed to ever draw it, which is really important when you're drawing you know, three mana, one, two, every single turn of the entire game, or two mana, return three lands from your graveyard to your hand every single turn of the game. Like, in actual, like, drawing other effects you can cast out of your graveyard is really, like, really important for decks like that. And we, and we uh, talked about with Consider, like, the power of being able to just, like, accidentally put top cards from the top of your deck in your library that have value. And that's what Dredge as a deck is built around. And the fact that this has the ability to get the three cards you need to your graveyard or, you know, five, up to five cards into your graveyard and keep the one card you maybe wanted to draw. Cause that's the other problem with dredge historically, not historically, cause this isn't a real problem, but sometimes you might need a card, but the cost to not dredge that turn to draw a random card is never, is not worth it. But like if I've, if I have Dream Twist, or not Dream Twist, if I have, um, I was going to talk about Dream Twist in a second. Uh, if I have Otherworldly Gaze in my graveyard and I use it and like, oh, the land I need to be able to do anything that I need to is on top, I can choose to draw that turn with information, which is helpful. Yeah. I mean, that, por- that part was the other part I was going to get to, but you, I mean, you beat me to it, but it is spot on accurate because I cannot tell you how many times back, believe me, I had to play against Dredge a lot because it was super strong during the Hogak days. Um, I can't tell you how many times I just play my rest in peace and they'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to keep milling because that's what my cards do until, you know, hopefully faithless, whatever. Um, and they just like mill like nature's claims with mm-hmm. whatever was milling. And it's like, well, now that's in your graveyard, you're not going to get it. Otherwise, right. gaze lets you leave it on top of your library and then still put the stinky imp or whatever in the graveyard. Like for, for, for a deck that so classically is weak to removal or a re- weak to sideboard hate to the extent that dredge doesn't, sideboard in sideboard hate they dredge they, or they don't sideboard in sideboard hate they sideboard in sideboard hate 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 yeah <laughs> they, like they bring in the answers to the sideboard cards that their opponents are bringing in to stop them and otherworldly gaze gives them that ability to dig for them for the first time uh, and especially now that faithless looting is gone because that was the other option right either faith like when faithless looting is around that's how you did that and without that now they have a bunch of cards that you have to discard cards it's two mana you only get to do one card so you're like potential to dig is so much lower and the value you have to just get like get rid of into a rest in peace like oh the only way i can do this is discarding my two good dredgers oh i drew three lands and no hate i lose now this allows you to kind of get around that and as an instant oh yeah no i i think this card's real and we're talking about it just in um 
just in the context of dredge, but I think any deck that's going to be completely all in on the graveyard uh, should be more interested in this card. And I even like, I even don't hate it as a one of or two of in Phoenix lists. Cause like, it's not to be discounted how in the late game in Phoenix, sometimes you just, if they are able to stop you or wipe the board at the right time, you run out of gas. And this like for two of these on your upkeep, into any spell on top of your deck guarantees you Phoenix. Like you, you, it's a one card for two of the cards you need to get Phoenix back. And like, that's, that's always the challenge is like, if they've been able to like, just kill your Phoenixes, so, wh- wh- however, or, or you just haven't been able to draw the right cards, this by itself guarantees you a Phoenix on turn four, because yeah. you have like three mana, you see six cards. If you don't find a single one mana cantrip or one mana spell in six cards, <laughs> then you then you lose. But like that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, but I like you're spot on with like that's just right because the Demulich is the same way. Like Demulich is asking a lot of you. You need to cast four spells essentially to make it free, and then you need other instants and sorceries in your graveyard. So like if you're trying to maximize that card, this is the type of effect you want. You want a card that can be two triggers and then put like, you know, it's two triggers for Demulich or two triggers for Phoenix, but then it can end up having put more Demulichs or more Phoenixes in the graveyard and more spells to exile the Demulich so you can recast it. Like it, I don't think you want a four of Phoenix really does want that critical mass because it wants to keep casting spells, but you're right. Like as a one or two of, you can certainly play it. I don't think that's crazy at all. Because this does cantrip, right? This is a one mana cantrip. It just cantrips into a second copy of this for two mana out of your graveyard. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. But it's also like, like in the faith, like the reason Faithless Looting was so powerful with Lingering Souls is the ability to have a card in your hand that you could discard to it to keep the good cards in your hand and have gained some amount of value out of that is absorbent like extraordinarily powerful (laughs) uh even if the card you're playing is bad as long as it's not like eight mana which is normally what a lot of flashback cards are one of the reasons lingering souls is good is like one of the few flashback cards that had value and cost two mana and and this card allows you to do that and 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 dream twist wasn't far off from playable this was a like standard and block playable card when it was in the format dream twist is otherworldly gaze but you don't get to pick a card to leave on tap it just puts everything in your graveyard and it was always close because it still was getting a lot of cards in your graveyard it was still casting two triggers per turn it just was like worse than uh uh the the horn what we just said it streetcorn streetcorn it's just worse than streetcorn <laughs> yeah and <laughs> but, I, I think like when you say it it's easy to underestimate the effect of like looking at one more card but like we're talking about the difference between, like, opt and preordain here, like, seeing an extra card. And this sees six cards. That's so many cards. That's so many more cards than modern cantrips let you see, generally. So, like, yes, you need to be all in. But because you get to see six cards and because it is two triggers, like, that's just not an effect that's duplicated in the format. Like, even Faithless Mending, at most, four cards. Like, it does right. give you more control over it, but you're paying two more mana and you're seeing two less cards. Like, so I think, I think for it to be playable, you need a deck that either wants to take advantage of casting stuff from the graveyard as a trigger, casting instance as triggers, or like you're getting 50 plus percent of the cards you see in your deck. You want in your graveyard. And, but yep. there are many decks that we have mentioned that fit all of that. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, so now it's just like, how much is it? How much, how many of these, like, 
what's the value of playing one, two, three, or four, or, or are these better than other options that do similar things? And if you look at the cards that like Phoenix is playing, if you look at the cards that um, Dredge are playing, there are worse cards, I think, or, or, or cards that at least there's worth trying a three, two split for a while to see which one's actually the stronger option. Oh, definitely. I, I just agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, and you know, we'll see where they end up going. Uh, I think we still haven't seen dredge come back full fully, but I've talked to some people. I am reasonably certain there will be a tournament in the near future where dredge is just a huge breakout and it's going to, it's going to continue otherworldly gaze. I think I don't have a date. I wouldn't be surprised if someone dominates. I personally, I won't be playing it. I will probably be playing a deck with rest in peace because I like those kind of decks. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone does really good at the SCG Invitational or uh, Channel Fireball's Vegas event later in the year with a dredge deck that contains otherworldly gaze. I would not be stunned in the slightest. Right, right. And because the, like, the pieces are there, it's getting more pieces. It's not like this set followed by next month or ne- two months or whatever the vampire. It's a it's November, right? Middle November yeah. is when Crimson is when uh, Crimson Vow comes out. And that's going to be graveyard themed as well. They like they, they are continuing this this process. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would be surprised. Like every time we go back to Innistrad, like Innistrad is when Dredge showed up because because before, like the real thing that people forget is Prize Amalgam is why Dredge is a deck historically, yes. right? Like like Faithless Looting and Golgari Grave Troll existed in the format for a year after Golgari Grave Troll was unbanned and did nothing. Prize Amalgam showed up and it now had the like the Icarid that the deck had been missing this whole time. Yeah, and. Like it's been able to just survive with that card, and then it keeps getting more tools. It keeps getting better. It got Ox of Agonos, and it gets Cathartic Reunion, um, Creeping Chill, which was an insane card to get to the deck. Uh, but Creeping yeah, Chill think- is the one that's like, what? Why? Why? What? What was this? What is this doing in anything except Dredge? Like- they like had Narcomiva in the set, and they're like, it, what, can we do two of this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's Surveil, right? Like yeah, they were just trying yeah. to make Surveil work. I guess was the the answer. That it is what they intended, but like, come on, like, what else was anybody going to do this other than put uh, it in Dredge? I, I I'm willing to say now that I think in my life, my top three standard decks that I've played, one of them is definitely the like Phoenix, uh, creeping chill, self mill blue decks. That wasn't very good, but it was playing the like two mana. Uh, whenever you cast a blue spell, mill yourself two cards enchantment. Sure. And just was like a Phoenix deck, but then like got to take advantage of Creeping Chill. Creeping Chill, your opponents in standard was such a thoroughly enjoyable experience. And it's dumb, uh, <laughs> dumb and modern. So <laughs> here we yeah, are. I was just in, in standard, it's like, okay, you put the work, you deserve this. In modern, it's like, can we get rid of the dredge mechanic, please? Like, <laughs> sorry, I know you love dredge, so I'm not pushing I, it. I, but. I, 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 I love a grindy dredge. Give me, give me, give me a Vengevine deck. Give me a Phoenix deck, really. Uh, all right. So that, that, that is, uh, the time we have today. Uh, if, uh, just small shout outs. Uh, we, um, I came up with a game called Battle Bosses. It's a game, uh, using these cool collectible figures. This is one of the prototype ones. This is Ryu. Uh, and you get to battle them in a game. It plays a lot like Magic. If you like Magic, you'll like Battle Bosses. It was designed by a bunch of Magic players. Um, and it kind of plays like if Magic and League of Legends and a tower defense game had a small baby. Uh, uh, and it's my child. Uh, it looks like it looks like that. Uh, it's available. Um, by the time this comes out, we're still kind of fulfilling Kickstarter backers, but it's available for pre-order right now on the website. We're like redoing the website. So go to kest.co slash battle bosses. Uh, and it's, 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 it's sweet. Um, I'm super, the response to Gen Con was really, like, really good. Everyone that played it really liked it. We sold out, uh, of a bunch of like, like the different bosses we had. So definitely check that out. Um, I'm dressing up as a costume every day this month. 
because I'm an insane person, but also I'm doing it for charity. So uh, there's a Tiltify link in the bio uh, for Planned Parenthood. Check that out. Uh, they help a bunch of people. It's not, uh, it, it shouldn't be controversial. So check that out as well. Uh, and then Zach, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at A22EN or I'm back on YouTube finally. Um, I have been doing a lot of YouTube content uh, during COVID, but stopped because I kind of got sick of it. Um, but I'm back. We just built a studio at my LGS. Uh, so we've been recording a bunch. And the, the YouTube channel is called RIW Makes Magic. And if you want to go there, we are – there's going to be Paper Modern. So I'm testing for a bunch of upcoming tournaments, playing Paper Modern. In fact, next Monday I'm also going to Twitch stream uh, a testing session for a deck. We're going to do some deck-focused sessions. So if you want to see – you know, a deck play, a gauntlet of modern decks, you're welcome to stop by. Um, there'll also be Paper Commander there, which I think is really cool because it's really hard to record Paper Commander. Uh, we spent a lot of time figuring out how to do that. So that's going to be cool. You guys can should check that out. It should be a whole bunch of fun. Dope. Really super excited. And then there'll be there'll be links uh, to all that below as well. Uh, last but not least, thank you, patrons, for making this podcast happen. And thank you to TCG Player. Uh, there's an affiliate link down below. If you click on it, uh, we benefit. Uh, you don't have to you don't have to pay any money. It just remembers you. You don't even have to buy anything right now. But by clicking on the link, they'll remember that we sent you and we get benefited by it. So that's super helpful and definitely appreciated. Uh, I apologize to all the people that lost the trivia earlier today and you had to hit the like button. That sucks. But sometimes that's how it crumbles. You, not everyone can be Zach and know the answer before I even finish the question. <laughs> and thank you again for joining. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on. And we'll talk to everyone next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media.